You know what, Rich? Turn it up. Turn yeah, it up. Give us a little volume on this. Give it. Okay. All, All right. Now, now I feel ready for what is the 28th episode of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard S. Greenfield and Walter Pisick on this Halloween Eve. How are you fellas today? Wait, why did you turn the music yeah, off? That was great. I was, I, was, I was enjoying that. Yeah, you could have stopped. We, we, we have we, a we, slower we, fade, Rich. What, I thought mm. you were you worked in radio once. We need. A I did. I did. I did work in. Didn't radio. you get a that, Didn't you get a radio scholarship to college? I, oh, but I, I don't. I, I don't have that. that. I don't have that board, the control board, that where you could slide up and down. I don't, we don't have that. I mean, we'd have to like. I mean, I guess it's possible. I'd have to learn how to do that here. I'm not that technologically um, sophisticated. Stand by, oh listeners. God. Next week, we'll have further technological advancements. Well, happy happy Halloween, guys. Um, I bet you're as tired as I am. This week has been insane. Actually, yesterday, I cannot remember a day with so many companies reporting earnings at once and just trying to keep track of the prints and the calls um, was quite a challenge. I haven't even fully caught up yet, to be honest. I still have transcripts to read, but we did, <laughs> I, we did pretty well. We All did a good job. We kept team, our head above water. Team, teamwork is the key. Um, I think the most interesting part of earnings, and I know you guys don't want to talk about earnings much um, because that's not what this podcast is about. But no, I think that's, not most, what, that's not what we're I about. Think, <laughs> that's true. Or the podcast. Um, I think the most interesting thing, though, was this just massive surge in digital advertising that we saw this quarter. Um, I, it started with Snap um, last week, which we discussed on the last podcast, but we got um, the Pinterest uh, print this week. And then that was also Twitter and um, Google reported uh, pretty amazing ad numbers but brandon um, oh, it, this is all just e-commerce i mean brands there's brands are shifting th- online to to build their business they've had no choice right people are not going to stores the way they did brands are rushing to put their product online and yep. people are responding i mean i think that's the key people are spending more money now than they ever have spent online I and agree with that. I think the real e- question is, is what happens in 21 when we're allowed to at some point, hopefully go out and shop normally does bricks and mortar return or is this just a permanent shift I, in behavior? Rich, I think this even goes farther than that. I think that real brand advertisers like CPGs even included um, have shifted. Television hasn't really been available to them in a big way, and they've had to place budgets elsewhere. And I think some of the things that were, you know, big platforms, but were more experimental um, uh, in in budgets, um, like a Pinterest or or a Snap, um, are are the clear beneficiaries. And brand advertising has has led a lot of this, and I I don't think it's it's going to move off these platforms when we return to normal because I remember what happened in what 2009 and 2010 with newspaper advertising. All of those advertisers never came back to print. They they all moved to digital to web, I guess. Um, at, well, at the time. And I think you're seeing also this similar shift now. Well, I, look, but I think part of this is for years and years, we heard you can't build a brand on the internet. You got to build your brand on TV. Like that is how you build your brand. And it's great for direct response. And you can click and buy something on Google search or whatever it may be. But there was this sort of theory that you can't build brand online. And I think what we're seeing is that is absolutely false. And we're seeing more and more brands. I mean, first of all, Brand advertising and performance advertising have been colliding for a while. It's clearly accelerating. But I also think a chunk of this is, hey, the younger audiences, actually all audience, but certainly younger audiences are not turning on TVs the way they used to. They are not tuning in even sports. I mean, everything is falling apart right now in terms of ratings. And so brands are being forced, as you said, Brandon, to look online 
But the good news is it's actually working. Brands seem satisfied and they're increasing their spend given the return they're making on those ad spend. And so I think I agree this is definitely part of a major trend away from legacy platforms, legacy ad platforms, and is probably positive for the entire group. I mean, it obviously benefits big brand platforms uh, the most, but the reality is everyone's going to be a winner in this shift. Which, by the way, you saw from Twitter uh, yesterday, which was I'm a blow away print. Nobody, you know, relative to expectations, nobody, nobody could have believed it. Right. right. Um, and, you know, stocks down 20 percent today. Yeah, I, I look, people are upset that map got delayed that, you know, their their mobile uh, sorry, you know, th- their ability to do DR and performance ads. People were hoping for given this e-commerce surge and that getting pushed out to early 21 has people I, pissed off. And I upset. think there's there's a lack. There's sort of there was always a little bit um, of skepticism, I think, around Twitter management and their ability to execute in certain regards, particularly on the monetization side. And MAP was supposed to be a stake in the ground fixing MAP. And now that's getting pushed out. And I I think you you have some investors who are like, you know what, I can't trust this management team. What do you think yeah, about it, that? Well, it's just sort of funny because advertising was dramatically higher than expected. So monetization. Well, I know, back. I know. And but it's that not like was it's more, not going to happen. That was more secular, though, right? Sure. Uh, the things that the things that they can con- control, and how they've done a better job, I think, on the user experience. Um, and we've seen kind of this, you know, if you look at, at the growth curve of DAU, I mean, it's up until this quarter, it kind of had like a, a pretty exponential look to it. Um, but they, they got to get DR right. They got to get the, the ad tech infrastructure correct. Okay, let's go to our first slide. Um, Walt, I know this is a favorite topic of yours. So why don't you kick us off? Uh, That's a tactical tweeted. I just noticed that when a remote interview on CNN goes to potato quality, they silently drop the quote via Cisco WebEx until the picture quality improves. Um, Yes, Dave, we noticed the same thing. In fact, now when we have vendors that send us these links to meet them with Cisco WebEx, we actually question um, whether this is a vendor that we want to use Um, and need to move to zoom zoom we we are outright rejecting any vendors or any partners who want to use webex it has to be minimally google meet which i still also think isn't nearly as good of a product as zoom or zoom that's a that's a warning on webex is just it's horrible i can't even get the app the program on my pc to load and they haven't figured out how to (laughs) how to make this a better product Cisco's just legacy tech, I guess, like legacy media. That was a weird World one. Series ratings, with. Brandon. Um, I could read it off from Sports Media Watch. Dodgers raise World Series viewership down 30% to new record low. Um, and then game six, top non-NFL sporting event since sports return from the hiatus. So that's good news. Also the top non-NFL TV program in adults 18 to 49 since the Academy Awards. And Game 6, also the least watched World Series clincher on record. Um, so Glass half full, it, half empty? Yeah, I was going to say, on a very, very low bar, um, they did okay. I think ratings for the World Series were only down what like mid 20s <laughs> or, or something but uh, we've discussed the theme kind of ad nauseum we don't know exactly why people aren't watching sports in in 20 there's a lot of different factors uh that are coming together but we do think there are um there are also secular issues and it, like we talked about with with um, advertising about how advertisers just suddenly stop doing something and then they don't re- and then they don't return. Um, let's see next year, hopefully next year, COVID goes the right way. Um, uh, 
where ratings re- return to. My guess is that they, they don't come close to touching 2019 levels. I think it's challenging, right? I mean, we've got so much other content now for people to be watching. And for the World Series, LA, I mean, a big market team, this would have been exactly what Major League Baseball would have wanted. You know, a, not a sweep, a six-game series. I mean, the this, NBA, this is, Rich. The yeah. NBA had LeBron and the Lakers, right? Same thing. And, I mean, the Lakers are a bigger deal than than uh, than the Dodgers, right? I mean, That's why I don't think this is a short-term phenomenon. There is something just fundamentally changing in terms of people turning on their TVs at night and having interest in traditional sports. Yes, the NFL is only down, call it high single digits. It's, it's doing all things considered. The NFL is doing incredible and it probably sets yeah, them up. I mean, it's, it's probably going to see better. NFL rights. Everyone talked about the election. The NFL is actually doing better, I think, season to date than it was doing in 2016 at this point in the season. So, and, and relative the NFL to other sports, it continues, though, to just be its own beast. Also, right, interesting yeah. is the pay TV sub losses are lower than expected and we'll get into a little bit of that later so you can't really blame it on the fact that people are just flipping off tv at an accelerated rate because the ratings no, because sports are even, dropping faster than the drop in pay tv it's not even close right well if we not talk about seven or eight percent declines as as you point out versus you know 20s 30s up to 60 percent obviously you know that's just you know, I mean, I guess the a, question a though, piece is, of the puzzle, which comes first, chicken or the egg? If the sports ratings are down that much, at some point, maybe those customers come around and say, "Why the fuck am I paying so much for my pay TV subscription?" So it's kind of a precursor uh, to what's even going to be worse pay, pay TV sub loss going forward. You know, I think that is one of the most important takeaways from the last we, few months. Is we that. always say, you know, like quote Malone, sports is the glue that holds the bundle together, right? And if people aren't watching sports, then what the hell do they have the bundle for? I mean, maybe news during this crazy political cycle, which, you know, hopefully will end on uh, on Tuesday. But there's there's also a complexity element to all of this. And Walt, this is something that, you know, sort of was a response to something that you had tweeted out. But it's something that I think every consumer right now is dealing with. So why don't you read it and explain the context? Well, also another friend of the podcast, uh, Sean Ryan tweets, it's insane to me in today's world. We can't just get all the games on one app. It's is keeping me from watching um, versus getting me to subscribe. And, and the issue he's talking about is for those of us that are attempting to make the switch, we're almost getting forced out of the the using our, our typical pay TV subscription. Uh, NBC or Comcast is, is basically taking me from NBC, NBC Sports app out to Peacock, back in. So I'm flipping back in and, and, and out of apps. Now, um, Rick Cordella, I think, chimed in during this saying like, oh, yeah, but don't you do that for football? True. Like you go from Fox to CBS, but I am within, in many cases, my pay TV subscription. So it's a matter of changing channels. I think changing channels within the ecosystem of my cable box is very different than coming in and out of an app. And then within that app, the experience is that they're not dropping ads. So there's like these just grando, uncomfortable quiet spots um, during the advertisements. Fox is the same thing. Like even in, in sports, like if I'm looking for where is the Fox game playing, I've got like five different Fox apps on my Apple TV. I don't know where the fuck to go to find the right one to, to watch this. It's crazy. So as this transition well, happens, I have well, a solution for you. There's actually um, that whole system is horrible and you're right. Like, and it either needs to get fixed or I don't even know if it's fixable, but I will. I'm going to give a plug right now. I got the new Chromecast and it's sort of like a meta overlay of yep. all your apps is pretty is pretty awesome. Okay. So it'll they'll know that you watch soccer and it'll suggest to you with their you know little picture yep. with video preview kind of things. Um all of it the learns games. what you and like. It, yeah. And then but you what's could just click on, on like, the game and it goes right into the app. It's but, but pretty what's, awesome. But what's amazing is that Comcast is effectively forcing you into the new world. So the new world is not quite ready. But when the stars align between the fact that now my sports is viewing is down and now I want to go somewhere else, as they fix that ecosystem, whether it's through Chromecast or other things that are out there, 
you know, they will get it fixed. It's just technology, right? They will get it fixed over time. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to coincide with people saying, I'm paying way too much for sports that I'm not watching. And for me personally, as a direct TV customer, once that Sunday ticket is gone, see ya. We're right. But but all of this leads to one big question, which is what happens to the sports rights? I mean, the NFL probably before the end of the year, so, very Sunday well. ticket is, a, yeah, I was going to say, that's a great place to start. Right, because the NFL is probably going to sell sports rights. Uh, with media rights are up for renewal. It's either going to be late this year or early next. I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen before the end of the year, especially given how good NFL ratings have been versus everything else on television, but especially other sports on television. It puts the NFL in an incredible place, but it raises this big question for everybody else. And Brandon, just yesterday, I believe, you asked the former head of CAA Sports who yeah, joined uh, by the way, WWE. I just, want, I just wanted to like chime in on one thing. I wanted to connect the dots between what you just brought up and what Walt just brought up, which which is Sunday Ticket. I think that's an interesting question as, as to what actually does happen to Sunday Ticket. I don't think it's going to it's going to remain obviously with AT&T. Do you think that winds well, up being have split to, up? Have to Who bid. do you think the front runner is there? And how well, do you think to, that? You'd have to bid for it to stay with AT&T. So I don't think they bid. So uh, it's definitely going to find a new home. Who takes it? I don't know. I mean, I, look, breaking it up obviously loses a lot of exclusivity. It could happen. But the real power of this is that it is exclusive and it, you can drive um, you can drive a larger business. I mean, it wasn't remember DirecTV didn't do this to make money on Sunday ticket is discreetly. They used it to drive the overall it ecosystem was, yeah, it was of DirecTV. It was marketing. If four people have it, is it really marketing? That's where I sort of run into trouble. Um, you're talking about a, a situation where you have multiple uh, rights holders. So you have an Apple and an right. Amazon kind of marketing it through their through their stores and maybe a Disney plus I, it just be, some of that I mean, value is already eroded anyway you will, because you can you get, will get reach though and you can get the, red zone on a lot of different places anyway and that that became more popular over time than the traditional person watching it right so that's I think it's better for the NFL to do it that way how many people to, do you to, think to, we don't we don't know how many people have red zone no we don't we don't. But, we have no idea. but, but I think. Uh, but I think you're right, Brandon. If if it if it makes it, there's some people that just don't want to have Direct TV, and they're going to forego the opportunity to watch a lot of these games. So yeah. if, if you make it easier to get Sunday Ticket on a number of different platforms, the ability of someone to watch different games, I think you'll potentially get more engagement with the sport altogether. So I think you're right about that. It's it's probably better for the NFL to to, to segment it out to multiple. Also, parties. having Amazon potentially as as one of the partners marketing it. I mean, we've seen what they've done relative to everybody else um, in driving. Uh, Take trolls. Take trolls. Trolls. They were by far the dominant seller of trolls. They are yeah. amazing at selling things. I'd like to see the numbers on like um, NBA League Pass, for instance, and what the breakdown is by partner there. I, this the cross selling this of having Borat going in and interviewing players <laughs> post game. <laughs> Uh, I love how you we got never Borat even discussed Borat. I'm sorry to get off topic. Did you guys even like Borat? I have not watched because it. Because it, it, it was the agenda. it was the theme last week. I mean, nothing, nothing. It was nothing fine. Will, it was all right. Nothing will beat fine. the original Ali G show, which is yeah. the greatest comedy show of all time. Um, and the original Borat was so much better than this one. But there were a couple of laughs. Okay, let's let's get Nick Khan because it, it is an important okay. quote. So Brandon asked Nick Khan, the new the former head of CA Sports, who's now president over at WWE. Brandon asked him a question about sort of what happens to sports rights, essentially, Brandon. That, that was basically your question. Yeah, I mean, I it was there was a multi-layered question there because it just to kind of set the the stage, the the biggest topic for WWE, most of their rights come from their or most of their EBITDA, almost all of it comes from their television deals right now, especially in the US with with Fox and NBC. And ratings have sucked and they've sucked more broadly. And the question that I mean the first question on the call, which wasn't us, was what does this mean for your renewals in a in a couple of years when you go back to the market? And 
are you concerned about ratings? And Vince got on and said, well, we don't care about like people just viewing um, our content on television. You know, we look at all the views, including AVOD and YouTube clips and so, you know, so on and so forth. But AVOD doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. And my and my point to them when I came on was, okay, yeah, AVOD doesn't pay your bills. All of your EBITDA comes from the television ecosystem. So uh, um, how do you think about how ratings are going to impact your ability to have bidders um, for your deals going forward? And do you think of what Vince calls the big boys, the the tech platforms are going to be involved? And Nick Khan, who came from CAA, was the head of television there, has worked on plenty of sports rights deals before. um, Clearly is there to do these deals. That that is that's why they hired him. He is the one who negotiated the domestic deal, um, the current last domestic time, deal. which it, the current domestic deal, which is was up like whatever three point six times, and they want to also monetize the WWE network. They're going to license so it listen. to someone. So he's here to do that. So I think we've we've all seen with Amazon certainly an appetite for the NFL. We've also seen them sampling. Uh, internationally, specifically with tennis in the UK. Uh, it's certainly an indicator to me if you look at some of their recent executive hires. Uh, we don't believe that you make those hires unless you're going to get... They hired Marie uh, Donahue more, from ESPN. Uh, unless you're going to go deeper into the live business. Uh, if you look at Netflix's model, if in fact Disney is contemplating what Whatever they might be contemplating, and NBC Universal the same thing. If I want to get back to that Disney thing right like, there. Uh, we can continue to put out fresh content that registers, perhaps on. A- okay, that, that's enough. I mean, his basic point is the tech platforms are coming in, and you're going to get. Be- he believes so. I, I, he feels obviously most more most confident in Amazon coming in, and we're most sure. confident of the tech platforms in Amazon because they've shown a willingness. They did. The Italy yeah. deal, um, they've actually done wrestling in Mexico, and obviously they're involved with the NFL. So we feel like Amazon is going to be there to a certain extent. How big, we don't know whether they're going to have their own broadcasts or just be kind of simulcasting, which is what they've done so far. Um but but then he goes sort of off. But then he goes off the rails. rails. He goes completely off the rails because yeah, yes, I mean, we agree with you that Amazon might be involved. Then he starts talking about well, what Disney is contemplating. And in an earlier part of the answer to the question, he talked about how he thinks Disney is going to put together um, what Hulu and Disney Plus. And ESPN Plus, and have live components mixed with um, with SVOD. And right, but it, but it gets worse than that because then he goes and basically says, "Well, because Disney's about to do this, then <laughs> well, Netflix is going to go start bidding on sports way, rights." I wonder if he was trying to drop some knowledge on Disney there because we know he's close with Pataro. We know where he came from um, at CAA. He could be negotiating this this uh, network deal with Disney. Not sure. It's possible that he he was purposely saying that because he said what Disney is contemplating. Right. But then he goes off the rails and says, because Disney is doing that, like as if it's a fact, um, Netflix is going to have to respond by moving from just SVOD into the live business. Yeah, but but it's hard to believe all of that because at the end of the day, he also then throws in NBC and what they're doing. And it's like (laughs) what NBC is doing has nothing to do with what (laughs) I I mean, the Peacock story is totally different. Right. That kind of undermined the entire thing. And the fact that he's talked about Netflix getting involved in live. I think we know Netflix as well as (laughs) pretty much anyone um, on the street. And uh, I have never, ever, ever gotten the impression from from Reed or anyone there that they were going to do live. They tried to do some near live stuff and it didn't work for them. It's also a little hard to imagine as much as I believe Disney should convert into a one-stop shop, basically where it should be one platform for everything. It is hard to understand exactly how Disney's going to make this happen um, when they have such different business models. Hulu's ad supported. Disney plus is not ESPN plus 
has sort of shared rights with broadcast and cable has UFC, which doesn't really work so well with Disney plus like, and it's, and it's, it's mostly a live product. There's not a whole lot of people watching on demand on ESPN. And so it, it is a very complicated equation. I, I hope Disney is moving in that direction, honestly, because I do think that if they can figure out how they build a bigger bundle of content, it would be a lot more powerful than what they have right now in terms of engagement in ARPU. But on the flip side, there's zero shot that what Disney's doing, um, you know, I don't think that's going to have any implication on what Netflix does. And I think what you sort of see in his answer, Brandon, is that all of these sports leagues, um, live event companies in, in WWE standpoint, they need tech to get involved for rights fees to keep going up. Or the yeah. reality is it's some more than, the and next- by the way, more than one tech player. Right. Uh, I don't uh, think Amazon's enough. You need it always takes two to tango. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> And if you think the MVP ecosystem is, as you like to put it, in deep trouble, <laughs> then you know you need Apple um, to come in or Netflix, who isn't going to, or someone else. But the but the irony, just to, to tap on the point you just said, Brandon, in terms of the MVP ecosystem, like listen to Rutledge because they're actually dramatically outperforming everybody else in the industry and. I'd say if you looked at one of the key takeaways, I know earnings aren't over. Dish hasn't reported. Hulu Live hasn't reported yet from Disney. But so far, MVPD subscribers are far better than we ever expected this quarter. And we can't really explain it. But let's listen to Rutledge. I think it's news, but we could get into it as part of it. have higher and faster connectivity growth, uh, generally speaking, uh, to the industry. And as a result of that, uh, we're pulling through video with that growth. If you just think about overall video penetration uh, as a percentage of households and you think about changing households over uh, to your network, um, you're going to, you know, you're going to pull through a certain percentage of video. And if you grow. So he's, he's basically just saying that because broadband's been so incredibly good, it's pulling along people in a bundle of 95 percent of charter subs who take. Uh, video are getting it with another product, meaning with broadband. So he's basically just saying their broadband growth has been so good, they're pulling along video. But yet, even with better video results, ratings are terrible. Like people are not watching. Rich, maybe that's happening at Charter, but look look at Comcast, right? Comcast was still better than I thought. Comcast was better than we thought, but I mean... Still losing subs. Still losing subs, and broadband is up and to the right. Rutledge also said, if you grow mobile rapidly, like we are, it will grow your broadband rapidly. I'm not sure I understand that connection. And and also, again, versus Comcast, Charter's doing much better in, in mobile versus versus Comcast. When Rutledge was asked about that, he talked about pricing, but Comcast pricing is actually lower on a per gig basis. So I think they're just, for whatever reason, outperforming at the moment. Just pure execution. Yeah. And I'll tell you something, because I... I have both services for, you know, both of my current residences. Charter's customer service absolutely blows away Comcast. It's and it used to be the opposite. They're incredible right now. Maybe they just have you earmarked as light shed and they want to take care of it. <laughs> yeah, it could be that. <laughs> Utah getting sold. Did we know this was happening or this came out of nowhere? Oh, so I, I did not know that that was a time. freeze. That was a that was a brain freeze right there. Was that your Wi-Fi or was that what was that wasn't Wi-Fi? There? That was a pure mental freeze. I did we edit that time lapse out? <laughs> no, I'm leaving it. That was too good. I was expecting a different slide here that wasn't a Brandon slide. So I kind of like, you know, paused for a second and then that came up. <laughs> the order was a little different than I remembered. Sorry. I will read the tweets. Breaking Utah Jazz to be sold for $1.6 billion to Qualtrics CEO Smith. Okay, so just very quickly on, on this one. It was actually 1.66. Um, Forbes was 1.55. So it was a little bit, I think, 6 or 7% probably premium to what, would, what Forbes had. But I w- will say it actually came with the arena came with their G league team and came with a minor league baseball team. So if you kind of add it all up, it was probably a discount to Forbes, which is something we haven't really um, 
seen in a long time. That being said, I think we, we talk about all the problems that sports could potentially be having and on the revenue side and television. Um, well, how about RSNs? We haven't even talked about RSNs. RSNs, yes, which is the biggest of all of them for actual team profitability. Um, I, I think the scarcity value will keep will keep uh, sports team valuations afloat. Um, it probably isn't a bad time to be selling right now, right? I mean, given no, all of it, these it's, uncertainties, it's, it's probably not. And if you look at who most most of the owners are obviously our age and up and when i don't know gen zers get to be our age are they going to want to own sports teams i don't know but that's going to play out over many 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 years i mean stevie cohen still paid what two six for the mets um i i don't see i don't think sports team valuations are going to be a runaway train in in this environment but i don't know how much downside there is either i.e. MSG sports stock, probably a do-nothing. Walter, this, explain yeah. this to us. Well, this next tweet um, I saw because Josh Kosman of the New York Post retweeted this. Um, that man has a very active imagination, by the way. So he tweeted this. Josh also authored <laughs> the, the Dish DirecTV thing, claiming that the DOJ reached out to parties to say that the DOJ wouldn't approve it. We're not familiar with the DOJ ever doing that. Um, it's just not their policy if, for any unannounced deals. But okay, he retweeted this one, collusion. Um, and then this was, the subtweet on this was from Sven Heinrich. Is that what it would be? Um, I think that's right. Sven is right. 14 to 20% of Apple's annual profits come from Google um, for building Google search engine into its products. Still think there's not monopoly power at play and at regulatory risk. So somehow making this argument that it's collusion between Apple and Google somehow that's that's they're locking out the market. I mean, Apple just gets paid by Google. They could theoretically get a check from Microsoft or whoever else. But, um, you know, this is, it gets us back to the Google antitrust case. Yeah. Right. Um, which the, the more I think about what they're going after them for and Really, I think this deal specifically is between Apple and Google is a big part of it. It just kind of seems, for lack of a better word, stupid. If if they do break that exclusivity with um, with Google, who's the beneficiary going to be? Bing, which is Microsoft. So you're just well, transferring power from one tech giant to another. Who cares? Well, the only thing that's interesting that we didn't put up on a slide that we probably should have for this week is that there was a tweet out this week that, you know, sort of a story out this week of Apple building. And you sent it to me, Walt, of Apple sort of quietly building its own search technology, um, you know, if in case, I guess, the, the worst case scenario uh, of, of Apple can't license Chrome or Google search product. Akio, starting search from scratch. I mean, isn't search like the ultimate sort of like iterative technology? I still don't use Apple Maps. I will not use Apple Maps. I, I feel like search and is I've a switched. lot. It, it, there's a there's a lot that goes into into building maps and a lot of uh, how should I say grunt work, hand <laughs> hand work, but like building a search engine. And trying to compete with Google—that's that's a tough one. The other question is how how is Apple truly getting compensated? Are they getting some type of vig for every ad delivered on the search, or is there one flat fee? And and right. even if Google is not provided the default location on those those search things, it doesn't necessarily indicate that the revenue is going to go to zero if they're still going to get paid for every search that occurs through one of the Apple devices. We just don't. No one knows. I don't think the terms of those agreements. So well, I and also, like, I don't know about you, Walt, but I on my iOS 14 on my new or not my own on my old iPhone, but using iOS 14, which I downloaded, I've made the default browser now Chrome so that it opens up links directly into Chrome. And so that's obviously using Google search. That's not even using Safari anymore. And so, you know, the more that that becomes possible, uh, that's also another wrinkle into kind of usage of the search engine. Which is just Safari. a very narrow first um 
you know, salvo, I guess. I mean, but look, things will change over time. You might have a new administration with different people running the thing that you don't have the any blue states that are a part of this thing yet. Um, there's obviously discovery that's going to occur. The, the argument has been that guys, like people at Google or, or um, at all these other companies are very have been very careful of what they email or, te- or whatever or texted each other, but we'll see. Um, it'll be a multi-year process. It just seems like this first version of what we've seen um i don't know i mean does any consumer really not want to have google as their primary search i mean what what problem are we solving here (laughs) uh let's talk about new iphones Uh, people are getting them what are they finding out Walt? um so our good friend steve tweets um AT&T 4g lte advance aka 5ge and you know we were a big defender of this when it came out because it meant more spectrum um, and he throws up a speed that's better than when he had the actual 5G logo on his AT&T phone. So you, now that everyone's getting their new iPhones, and they will over time, you're going to see a lot more of these tweets. And, and the issue um, that it addresses is, um, you know, what is 5G in terms of improve speeds or enabling a new application? When we had LTE come out, it made your video work. That was the application. It wasn't a big surprise. It wasn't build it and they will come. Everyone knew that when LTE launched, it was going to make your videos work. Now, this speed is not even better. The latency is not better. The uplink's not better. Uplink when you need it for how everyone's using Zoom now and everything else, it's not even helping you. So it speaks to a couple issues. One, is this really going to drive a super cycle? Apple on their call last night basically guided to iPhone revenue flat year over year. Flat is not a super cycle when you're talking about a year that's like... <laughs> down materially from the only super cycle <laughs> <First off. laughs> and then secondly it doesn't I mean, sound super to me walt <laughs> and this triggered so is, is this fade 5g i mean i think we've been kind of talking about this a little bit so i won't belabor the point but look maybe i need always, good luck 5g we have always been spectrum <laughs> proponents and i think the new movement that i am now going to be pushing for is rather than you looking for that lte or 5g logo or 5g uw logo what the consumer wants to know is how much spectrum is that operator giving me? Because the spectrum now, the amount of, that's the stuff that your data travels over, is the far larger determinant of what type of speeds you get than whatever fucking acronym is on your phone. So give us the numbers rather than the acronyms. And like, who will be the winners long-term? The guys that have the biggest spectrum right now, T-Mobile. Maybe Verizon can get some more in an upcoming auction. You know who else has a ton of spectrum? Dish. There's a lot of questions about if and when they're going to build it out, but they're sitting on a large chunk of spectrum that they're going to build with a lower cost infrastructure. It may take some time. You know, they'll talk about maybe a build in the second half of next year when it's really picking up. But if you have a lot of spectrum, you can deliver superior performance to consumers, and that's where consumers will move to. Let's go. Whether you have the new iPhone, by the way. Not yet. I'm waiting for the big one. Yeah, me too. Okay. And the next and the small one. I'm so I can want to read it, Richard. Versus Tima. Netflix increasing price on its plan from thirteen to fourteen dollars premium tier, going from sixteen to eighteen. This is not a surprise. Everyone expected it after. Well, totally expected it. Yeah, I mean, Canada went up recently. Australia went up recently. We knew they were going to do this. Their content lineup is incredible, relative not just on an absolute basis, but also relative to everybody else. This two years since basically the last price increase, this was this had to happen given just sort of how underpriced they are. I mean, they're still, even at $14, they're still cheaper than HBO Max. And so this made a lot of sense. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's probably happening a little bit earlier than we were thinking kind of year-end timing, but it's happening, which is great. Uh, and I think my guess is you're seeing so far, you know, no pushback online. No one's sort of, if I remember back to when they went from, you know, the original $8 and they moved up a dollar or two and people flipped out and you saw all these headlines. Now it's sort of like, I think the price value has been established and sort of nobody cares. Especially during, during COVID, right? Where but the funny part of this has is, gone through the roof. Right. But the funny part of Netflix raising price and nobody pushing back is at the same time that you've got NBC getting up on the Comcast call and them talking about, quote unquote, 22 million signups. And just to put this into context, signups mean when you go to the Peacock website, it asks you if you'd like to stream free content. So like Pluto or like a Tubi, all it asks you for is enter your email address. 
So you enter your email address and you can watch Peacock content for free. That's the 22 million. How many people have the actual SVOD like product where you can watch, you know, um, last night's television without, you know, without ads or with limited ads, that whole premium product. We don't have any idea how many users there are, how many people are paying, how many get it free from Comcast. We have no idea. All they've been talking about since launch is this sign up number, which to me just shows, at least right now, that this is really about kind of creating a better version of Pluto or a better version of Tubi. And this is all about AVOD. And they're really not thinking about this as an HBO Max, Peacock Plus, sorry, uh, 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 Paramount Plus like product. This just seems to have much lesser ambitions, at least right now. Cool. Now, going back to the Netflix um, price increase, it kind of reminds me back when AT&T a couple of years ago, the way a telecom guy would do a price increase like this is through the extra fees that are on your bill that would you would never really notice. And you'd see this like administrative fee that increased by 50 or 75 cents that thankfully at the time we were able to call out and it actually generated, I think, like an incremental a uh, billion or so of two billion of revenue. That's or how my the telecom my, industry does it. Well, uh, the cable industry gives you sports fees, right? Or the broadcast surcharge. That's it. The broadcast surcharge. Right. So that's what, but just, I mean, look, obviously the base is smaller in terms of 14 to 15 or whatever the fucking numbers are. But like in this case, it's a dollar in terms of coming out of your pocket. And if you're a cable or telecom customer, they pull that shit all the time in your, in your extra fees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think. That's why this makes this is why there's no pushback. Look, Netflix, the bottom line on Netflix is they are not at the sweet spot of the elasticity curve yet. I think price is just going to continue to march higher and it's not going to come at the expense of subscribers. And And they've said it could be 20 to $25 long term. Long, I mean, who knows? Like, what year is that even? What's long term, right? It'll be above that someday, too. I'm sure. What what is Facebook doing in gaming, Brandon? I'm sorry, I don't know why that's off. Um, why don't I start by reading the tweet? Um, Facebook unveiled its new cloud gaming strategy today. It's a unique approach that sets it apart from competitors in the space and plays to the company's strengths. FTF2P free to play cloud games via web and mobile. Facebook login for gaming and cloud playable ads. So we've talked about cloud-based gaming um, recently it's with um, Stadia, with xCloud, and with Amazon. And those are pay services that are meant to bring you the immersive type games that you have on console and on PC and take and put them in the cloud and have them be cross-platform. Facebook here is first of all, their content strategy is only free-to-play games, most of which you you can find elsewhere. And um, meaning, meaning in the app store itself. Yeah, or it like for mobile in the app store. Um, they're they're not they're not trying to allow enable the the console experience um uh, on on their service it's kind of reminds me going back to when facebook first got popular besides just being you know people's profiles with zynga games right and so there there is a history there um, for Facebook and also Facebook is 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 creating building blocks towards a future which in which they lean even further into gaming. We know we they have Oculus, they have Facebook Games, which is their their streaming platform for video. They just um, bought Mixer over over the summer, so there is a foundation there, and I think this this free to play sort of more casual game experience is a building block to maybe one day, depending how it goes, they, they do put it all together and, and have much, much more immersive games. In the meantime, I'm not exactly sure what your reason is for using Facebook. Um, That's for this the key gaming, point. Exactly. Right? If you're in the ecosystem 
um, already. If you're if you're if you're on the app, it's very easy to add friends to your game. You just hit plus one. Um, I think assuming in, your friends internationally, are on Facebook, right. where people spend a lot more time, I think in blue. Per, perhaps it's easier just to play a game in the cloud rather than downloading it uh, onto your phone. Um, but I, I think this is just really early. So last week, of course, right after we end the podcast, something comes out and there's news that MGM is looking at shopping Bond either to Netflix or Apple for $600 million. We actually heard that the last bid from Apple might have been as high as $750 million. It doesn't look like it actually went anywhere. But it just sort of like, you know, most of the numbers that we've seen, I think not Borat, but it was the coming to America Two was a paramount film, went to Amazon for one hundred and twenty five million. That's one of the biggest sort of sales of a theatrical film that skipped theatrical to go straight to streaming. This would have been just this would have been monumental. I mean, I almost would have liked to have seen it just to understand what it would have done to subscriber acquisition uh, and just sort of excitement around a service like Netflix or Apple TV Plus. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. This movie's going to come out sometime, probably middle of next year. Um, but look, the concept is there is that the studios, just by even looking around, the studios are clearly nervous. COVID surging, movie theaters have closed again in Germany. Um, obviously, we're seeing lots of COVID flare ups in the US. And so the question is, when is when are movie theaters even going to reopen? And each one of these studios is getting nervous, which leads us into our next slide, which was Andy Forsall from HBO Max. He used to be at Hulu. Andy is the day to day executive in charge of HBO Max. He did an interview with Decider earlier this week, and he was asked this question. Disney Plus will premiere Pixar's Soul on Christmas Day. There's talk that Apple's pursuing the new James Bond movie, which could premiere on Christmas Day. Will you likely premiere something high profile on Christmas Day? He pauses. Uh, Scott Porsche asks him, sounds like I may have found something. He laughs. And Andy says, I have nothing I can share right now. I have one specific thing in mind that I can't talk about. So I don't know what that is. Obviously, it could be Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, that's, it could that, be. That's probably Wonder Woman. Yeah, but it's, that's such a big title. It might be something smaller. It means people have said maybe it's Tenant coming to HBO Max for Christmas Day. Uh, obviously, it hasn't worked really well in theaters, especially in the U.S. Maybe it comes out on HBO Max for, for the holidays. I don't know. I'm not taking that bait, Rich. You're just trying to trigger me on derailing on Tenant again. Not taking the bait. I couldn't even control my laughter. He did that on purpose, didn't he? I know. I did. I did. Uh, Walt, Walt, we had we had a, we had an uncarrier event this week. You want to just like maybe to explain sure. what this is? Basically, these are tweets just describing about T-Mobile launching um, whatever a streaming service with multiple different bundles. Just a little history here. This this was originally a Mike uh, Seaver deal where the original plan, um, which they tried to execute on, not well shipping a box. Remember that remote had buttons that basically didn't even work, um, that had basically an MVPD type service. The, the theory at the time in talking to people that actually worked at the company was they would embed LTE into the box so they could sell you a box in your home that improved your LTE coverage in your home, gave you your video, gave you your home broadband. That was the kind of initial dream. Now it's down to kind of a streaming service that- uh, Not even know. a box, just an app. An app, which is fine. Like that's that's a new kind of thing. Although it, it kind of changes what the value proposition in terms of what we've discussed a lot in terms of owning the living room and how and how T-Mobile can can be your broadband connection. Which, by the way, I still think they can when they build out this spectrum. But that's a different story. And maybe this will be a product. But like, I don't like. Do you really need to have this on your own, or could you just go to your customer and say, "Fine, we'll just pass along YouTube TV to you." I'm not sure this is necessary. Well, I think that's what's so surprising. I mean, they've got a streaming service that has you know th this team vision vibe is the entertainment channel so they're in a separate package if you want the viacom networks or the discovery networks the t vision live is 40 dollars, but it doesn't include cbs and in lots of places they don't have their affiliate deals done so you may not get local football uh because they only have the national feed of some of the networks in certain places it just seems like sort of i, I want to say at this point it sort of looks half-baked and while it's cheaper than YouTube TV, which just passed the 3 million subscriber mark, YouTube TV is the gold standard. I mean, it's by it's an incredible product. It works so easily. 
it integrates perfectly, as Brandon was saying before, with with the new Google TV Chromecast. I just don't see like there's nothing in this this what I would call sort of me too, but even it's not even a me too. Like it's it's even worse from a, a product standpoint. Too. Well, why Sorry, do some, like, why do something why do something that you don't do well? This is like in the old days when telecom companies were trying to be like have that gaming it. type apps, right? You're, so what Verizon's doing? Hold on. Right. So yeah, what Verizon's doing? Um, with FiOS, and I think what's going to happen when Verizon launches wireless broadband over 5G, whatever, whenever that happens, um, is to give you the YouTube TV and say that here's yes. your option. That's the plan on FiOS. So I'm not sure what T-Mobile is thinking here in terms of a product that's clearly just not good. Um, that why would someone want that? Don't stick to what you do well, which is build a great network that has really high speeds. You can go after the broadband ne- network, but like, why are you messing around with this? Doesn't make sense. A hundred percent agree. Don't get it. It do- seems outside of their core expertise. Billy Eilish, Brandon. Billy Eilish. This is a tweet from Billboard. Billy Eilish returned to the stage for "Where Do We Go?" the live stream, um, which took place on Saturday. Which is interesting because not that many people, as you know, um, live music is one of my major passions and i watch a ton of live streams and and was doing that before quarantine and pretty much nobody i knew um even knew about this billy eilish stream um but it got amazing reviews um after the fact because mostly because of it the way they utilized technology especially um extended reality which is essentially there they take a stage they put leds on it and they create um a new a new reality around around the artist and then they can drop in things like ar apparently it was uh it was amazing i have not gotten to see it yet um there was one other amazing um, stream, if you want to call it that, during quarantine, which was the the Travis Scott Fortnite experience, where he pushed the bounds of technology and integrated his music in that. And I but that's think, what really it seems. It seems like when you do something yes. beyond, right? Like yes. it's something that yes. not just broadcasting be, a concert. Look, people like me, right? And I've been doing this for years. Are going to sit and watch my? I w- will watch my bands play in you know, from LA or Chicago or wherever they're, they're playing, but that is a pretty limited audience. There's been a lot more supply of it um, during quarantine because artists need to make money. I think the results have kind of been mixed. I don't really think that standard streaming of shows is going to have much staying power um, outside the niche, but I do think there is an opportunity here for supplemental revenue for artists not replacing touring because i'll be clear about this because a lot of people have asked me is this a threat to live nations business no okay we're not going to ever exist in a world you know that is as much as some people we know would like it to be so that is just like some some kind of metaverse right um if you if you look (laughs) as we've gotten more digital um the live experience actually um, has had massive secular growth, which is kind of, it's almost like uh, a complete contrast to how digital the rest of the world has gotten. So why is that um, true for concerts, but not theaters? Like Rich is convinced that theaters may never come back. I mean, there is still some yes. live experience aspect yes. of sitting in a theater and, and feel the, the oh, energy a, of people laughing or scared. A, or, a little know. bit, Walt, but you've been, you've been to to concerts and you know what that experience is like versus watching it on television where it's a it's a format that it's it wasn't really created for there isn't the same kind of um, camaraderie and social experience at movies are basically sitting in the dark movie right um, I mean, a horror movie. is going to you know, a show. Uh, look, Maybe look, for horror, you, but horror. for other people that go to the theater, there is an experience of going to the theater, even including the sticky shoes. Like that's part of the, the <laughs> uh, that's part of your experience, and the, which is why it's not going away. It's not going away. Yeah. It's just shrinking. 
No, I get it. Like, you know, a you're just saying could theater. You could not. I'm like saying you have to be relatively consistent with the argument saying like there is a benefit to sitting in a packed theater in the first weekend and feeling the energy of the of the crowd watching that next Star Wars or whatever it is movie that's going to be out there from Disney, whatever, whatever great product that Disney's going to put out um, in that year. Rich, I I was going to (laughs) say like Avengers. What if it was solo? Would you feel differently if it was solo? Solo was not great, but there's lots of other positive ones. Okay, so now anyway, we got two. We there's have two technology tweets. available for yep. for for artists to utilize, and I think this could be an additional revenue stream oh, for those who do it right. So why is on. on? So why isn't? Um, I want to read. Uh, can I re- can I read this next? Hold one? on, before we get to this one, I got another question for you though. You yes. know, face, Facebook bought whatever that thing is. Those goggles Oculus. That on their face. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just like Zoom has taken off, like when this had been. The- <laughs> Wouldn't this been the perfect opportunity to really push Oculus type products to, to make it for a better experience? Yes. Okay, I, so I had today? I had the the pleasure of yes. of watching GD fifty, which was the fiftieth anniversary of the Grateful Dead on Oculus How was I, it? in in VR. It was fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> How much did they pay for that again? Do you remember, Rich? Uh, two billion dollars, I thought, wasn't it? I think it was two billion. So that one won't. Uh, everyone's going to bring up Instagram as like this big, like you know, monopolistic killer that everyone laughed at them buying. But then at the time, Oculus was like, oh, this was such well, a uh, maybe you know, Oculus purchase for not, twice what they paid for Instagram. You know what? Let's not laugh. Okay. Maybe Oculus is a building block um, to, maybe. to the future. Okay. Although we're, we're all skeptical on VR. Uh, Rich wants to get back on topic, Walt. So let's just stay off topic. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rogan's already letting Alex Jones was spread on information on his spot Spotify this show. information on his spot. This is interesting, Rich, because we keep talking about you know Section Two Thirty and 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 how, how Twitter keeps getting itself into trouble. This, yeah, how Twitter keeps getting itself into trouble, and and how Facebook and and Twitter are the arbiters and are shutting down you know, what they deem as being misinformation. Daniel Eck is actually putting a stake in the ground with Alex Jones. He knows that Alex Jones is going to spread misinformation on his podcast, and he's allowing him to do it, taking a clear stand on free speech. So this actually isn't just a social platforms issue. It's also a, I'll call it broadcaster issue. Well, to be fair, um, in the, in Alex Jones's podcast. To be fair, Alex Jones's podcast is not on Spotify, but Alex Jones went on Joe Rogan, which is no, on Spotify. I know, I know but I, right, but Al, yes, Alex Jones went on Joe Rogan, and as this tweet says, spread misinformation on the show, and it was this isn't a live show, right? It was right. recorded, and Spotify made the decision to put it up, so. They are These they are, the- are taking the side of free speech, and we I know there's employees who are up in arms, and you know. And what Daniel said yesterday was, we're going to treat everyone under the same rules. It's just uh, obviously the question is, is it the show or is it sometimes the guests and the content of the show? And that's what I think people are going to want to ha- sort of learn and figure out where that line is. But look, we're seeing the same thing with Twitter. Uh, this is the tweet that Walpole like. Each time, this is Twitter doing everything it can to complicate the lives of those defending Section 230. And this is a tweet that says, Twitter suspended the account of the head of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection for touting progress on the border wall. Twitter said the tweets below violated a policy against hateful conduct. All of this is so complicated. And I think that, you know, when I heard Mark Zuckerberg testify this week, he's basically begging the government to set kind of clear kind of red lines so that it's so that they know what to do. Because nobody seems to know what is and isn't allowed, and everyone's making subjective judgments, and it's getting everybody into trouble. And that's sort of my take here. Is I'm I, not sure is Twitter's just- using the best judgment in how they're implementing this. And again, to Dan Lyons' tweet, they're not making it easy for people that are trying to push back on Section 230 just on this, like, whatever. I mean, it's just, it's, it is a free speech issue. I mean, Twitter might not be a utility, and they can, um, and they can, um, select what's on their site or not, but what they're selecting, it's just, it, it hasn't shown, I think, great 
judgment. Whatever the process is, it's not working. But by the way, again, you just plowed forward into the Twitter. I wanted to go back um, to look at that picture of Joe Rogan. What? What? Can you bring that back up again, Rich? Because you really have a very fast pace today. Have we been getting complaints about our podcast being too long? I'd like to. What is going on with Joe Rogan's rib cage in that picture? <laughs> like I, that's a there, good question. Is that a stretched picture? Like what? There's a lot of angles going different ways. Like is that is that a real picture? Or is that a uh, artificial intelligence? But Rich, are you still with us? It, yes, are you I texting am. Texting someone it's, right now. I see you looking down. It looks a little strange. It looks very uncomfortable. Okay. Sorry. Let's go I, I think he's just, dude. I know what's going on. Who's in the that guy picture? next to Alex Jones? That's, who that's, wants a free. That's a, just that's just sucking in. Okay, can we move on? Yes, we were ready. You apparently were getting distracted uh, yeah, by something yeah. in the middle of the podcast, <laughs> looking down, texting something. So we're going to be talking about that one later. <laughs> but called been me out for, but by the way, <laughs> yeah. called me called me out for it, it earlier in the yeah, podcast. The was that? <laughs> to be fair, it, to be fair, it happened to Mark Zuckerberg during the middle of the earnings call last night, where he clearly so. got a phone call in the middle of the call. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, everything's okay, Rich. Okay, so just real quick, Shopify merchants. No one's can been now... to the theaters in a while, so they don't notice silence their phones. Exactly. Mike Pro <laughs> Mike Pro says Shopify merchants can now create targeted marketing campaigns on TikTok. And this sort of uh, Brandon to what you started off this whole podcast talking about, sort of the integration of e-commerce into uh, all of these platforms. Obviously, it's been explosive on Facebook. They talked about a lot about shopping last night in Facebook and Instagram shops. TikTok's just getting started. Snapchat talked about it last week. Everywhere you look, it looks like Shopify is essentially running the table. I mean, everywhere yep. you look, Snapchat, Facebook, TikTok, Shopify looks to it, it looks like they've won. I mean, it's basically it's either you're integrating with Amazon or you're integrating with Shopify and it's sort of like game over. Seems that way, Rich. No one's going to build their own technology and try to compete with Shopify, which is pretty amazing. Well, maybe, maybe Facebook will at some point. Maybe. Who knows? But, uh, I don't know. We'll see. It, it's just sort of amazing how fast. I don't know why Shopify... Facebook just didn't buy Shopify like well, that four is years a great question. Ago. Now they can't, obviously, because of the regulatory overhang. They, I think anybody buying Shopify. Especially as Shopify impossible. has gotten so big. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I just this this kind of collision of commerce and content is just a major theme that I think we're going to see play out throughout 2021, where everyone is trying to make their advertising shoppable so that there's an immediate transaction versus just brand building. Uh, let's go to our last slide, which is that sort of, I hate to end on a negative note in terms of COVID, but <laughs> we sort of have avoided COVID for a lot of this call. Disneyland closing down. And, and while we were doing the podcast, I got a I, I got a text message saying that Disney is laying off eleven thousand three hundred fifty union workers on December 31st. That sucks. Uh, I assume that's basically in Florida because it's, it's what it says. I think it's Walt Disney World. But I think it sort of speaks to the point of COVID's really difficult. The theme park business has been really challenging and, you know, they're operating at probably 30 percent of capacity in the U.S. and now you've got uh, this this Disneyland Paris. It sounds like they're going to be closed now until at least February. And so this is going on a lot longer than the theme park companies had hoped for. And you, you also, you know, booking times, there's a pretty long lead time on booking for anyone making a vacation. And so I think you're looking at before any shot of things getting back to normal is probably late next summer into the probably into holiday 2021 is probably your best case for most of these theme park companies now. Yeah, Castle well, Disney, I think, Disneyland is a lot smaller than Disney World. It just looks so puny there. <laughs> I mean, they're all small versus Disney World. I mean, each Disney one of them is, is great. I mean, puny. Uh, they're just yeah, puny. I mean, you can basically do Disneyland in a day and a half. You can't do that at Disney World. I mean, it's just a totally more comprehensive experience. Well, Florida will be open for business. Florida is open for business. Uh, Brandon, you going uh, trick or treating tomorrow? I, I wanted to wish you guys a happy Halloween. I hope to go to an outdoor concert tomorrow night. I was supposed to go to one tonight, but in Connecticut, where you are, Rich, but it's snowing, so and the snow stopped. Yeah, I'm now it's just gonna, wet. It's, I think it's just too cold and wet. I think I'm going to skip it, um, but maybe tomorrow night, and uh, and then election day is Tuesday. 
Cool. Right. Our next podcast, we'll have a new president, theoretically. Well, in terms of, either the same president or a new president. Or maybe what I either. Yes. Still undecided. Right. I, that, that's what I was getting at. I wanted to basically get to that point. I, I phrased it poorly. <laughs> we will have a decision. Maybe, maybe, maybe not by the time we do this podcast. I guess probably, we should bet on that. Actually, let's probably hope. not. If it does think, come down to Pennsylvania, I don't think Pennsylvania is going to be counted by the time we do the next podcast, which is kind of crazy. I think everyone in America can agree that we would all just like a decision by next Friday, one way or another. Okay, so our hope is that by the time you hear us next, there will be a decision on who's the president for 2021. Oh, and who, not, and not whoever that, that may be. We're just the hope. Yes. We hope. And whoever that may be, yes. that um, there's no unrest. That comes, I do know one thing. I do know one thing. I'm going to leave you with one thing. The person on this podcast that's going to get the least sleep Wednesday morning from Tuesday to Wednesday will be Brandon Ross. There is no chance yeah, but that's, he is that's not going to have news on. He's going to have the news on until 5 a.m. Like he will not sleep. But, but Rich, I already kept by far the least sleep <laughs> in this group. Uh, um, have a great week, everyone. That's uh, episode 28. Bye bye.